Welcome to the Beth and Kelly Show, a weekly Facebook Live conversation between Beth Fortune and Kelly Klingen. That's me. And we've made it into a podcast. Beth Fortune currently serves as Education Director at Wintergrass, the National American String Teachers Association Board, and Chair of the National Council for Orchestral Education. I currently serve as Education Director at Jazz Ed the Washington President at Jazz Education Network, and Jazz Curriculum Officer for Washington Music Educators Association. We have a platform, and we really want to leverage it for positive change. Please hit us up. Let's have a conversation, and uh, let's move our practice as music educators forward. So today's guest, we are so excited to have today's guest on to talk to us about one of our favorite places actually in the world. I mean, literally the whole entire world is one of my favorite places. We are lucky to have saxophonist and music educator, Derek Doge with us tonight. And he is the director of the Heritage School of Music at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation. Um, this is so cool folks this is so cool and this is more than just a building but let me tell you there is an amazing building where this program is housed um in new orleans in treme and it is super that show by the way super duper gorgeous this old building but then this amazing performance venue and learning space that's like super newfangled and beautiful wood um wood accents and like super perfectly acoustic and stuff like that mm. so um derek welcome to the show Thank we you. are so excited tell us a little bit about what you offer at this um school of music at the heritage center so the, the the Heritage School of Music is is funded by the Jazz and Heritage Foundation, which everybody knows the New Orleans Jazz Fest. The New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation owns the company that runs the Jazz Fest. So they take money from the proceeds and fund a lot of projects in the community. But one is our school, the Heritage School of Music. And we have a beginners program for absolute beginners. And we actually provide instruments for them if they can't afford instruments. Uh, with the caveat that they have to come to class for a whole semester and then they get their instrument for free. Um, we have uh, the Heritage School of Music, which is for uh, students eight to 18. And it's basically a after school space where they come and we try to teach them improvisation. We try to help them with, uh, you know, for instance, if they're in Allstate, we help them with their music or we help them with their auditions for Allstate. Um, and these are, these are students that are pretty much their parents have the means to drive them downtown. Uh, they have the means to like sit in the parking lot for three hours, two hours. So we're reaching kids who really, really want to learn about music and really mm -hmm. want to learn about improvisation. Um, so, and we also have a, a vocal program, which is called the Nord Vocal Program, which is uh, a program where a vocal teacher goes to specific city sites and teaches whoever, whatever neighborhood kids comes to the thing. So that's, that's kind of the day job. The night job is obviously, as you know, playing, playing jazz yeah. in New Orleans. Yeah. So, and so that's, 
this um, heritage, we'll, we'll definitely talk about the jazz playing too, but let's, let's get into a little bit about um, this heritage school. So I just have to say, um, I was lucky enough to meet Derek because I traveled with my students from Seattle mm -hmm. all the way down to New Orleans a couple of times. I and wanted to do the same when you were talking. I was like going through my Rolodex. When would yeah. be a good time of year like, to have a jazz field? She's trip? thinking, how does Beth possibly know someone this cool? <laughs> <laughs> I was not thinking that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anyway, so I traveled down to New Orleans um, with ensembles at Washington Middle School a couple of times. Now, this was after Kelly left Washington Middle School. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause for a moment, okay? <laughs> because we need to, Kelly and I need to reminisce for a second about <laughs> the time that we proposed going to New Orleans <laughs> with our students. Um, well, Kelly was a teacher at Washington Middle School and we put that proposal in. We, we wanted to take students to New Orleans post Katrina. Yes. It was post-Katrina, like a year and a half or more after Katrina. And our principal at the time denied the trip. He did not approve of Because there proposal. were wild animals running about the city. Am this I is remember? what he said. What? This is what he said. He said that there were wild animals that were dangerous and running around in the streets. That was his reason that we could wow. not go. It was the most outrageous thing. I don't, I don't know if I'm to be offended or, or if or I know. <laughs> there was absolutely no changing his mind. Like that was, it, no. <laughs> it was I was just no. like, are you kidding me? And so we put that off, but when he left the position and went to a different position in the district, a new, a new, principal came in and Kelly had already left, but I was like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to trot New Orleans back out. You just and had the proposal still. You just pulled it right out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um, we got it in the works and I collaborated with some amazing, an amazing couple, the Palms, Carol and Mark, Mark Palms from Ann Arbor, Michigan, who live part-time down in Louisiana. They live They've lived, I think they have an apartment in New Orleans right now, but they used to live down in the Cajun neck of the woods. Um, but I think, I think they actually have like a property in New Orleans proper now. Anyway, they hooked me in with Derek and the Heritage School of Music. And um, for two years in a row, we came to the Heritage School of Music set up in that amazing performance learning space. And Derek called together a group of amazing cats. I mean, total cats, like these, these are total pros. Mm -hmm. And we collaboratively learned for like three hours each time. And it was the coolest thing ever, okay? <laughs> now I'm gonna go on, I'm gonna keep on talking because, and. I want teachers to understand New Orleans is a venue to take your students. Now that we are like getting back into travel and stuff, I'm telling you, there is some rich learning to be done in New Orleans and 
you can really center a lot of what you're doing around what's going on at the Heritage School of Music. Um, so it was during French Quarter Fest. And oh, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So French Quarter Fest, for those of you that don't know, is a free festival in the French Quarter and it's in the spring and it, it happens to coincide with at least the Seattle Public Schools spring break real nice. Um, so, and it's free, like you should go down there. You should go down to French Quarter Fest first and be an adult there and like enjoy it as an adult because there's a lot of amazing fun stuff 24 seven going on with French Quarter Fest. And um, people are set up performing all throughout the French Quarter. And so what happened was that we go to the School of Music. We get this three-hour workshop with Derek and members of his band. And then we go to French Quarter Fest and we got to see Derek and his band perform. And guess whose band? Ellis Marsalis's band. So my students were sitting there in the park watching Derek, this person that they know, performing with you know, a real jazz mentor um, and just, it was a real special moment for us. And these types of moments happen a lot in New Orleans. And so Derek, we'd love to, um, you know, talk a little bit about your jazz upbringing and how did you find yourself playing in Ellis's band? Sure. Well, first I want to say that your, your students were wonderful and they actually, it's talked about a lot amongst the staff and the faculty at the Heritage School because your students wrote us these wonderful thank you notes. Oh. And, and <laughs> they just came out of nowhere and just, you know, were mailed. And I was like, how, how crazy is this? This is amazing. This is wonderful. So uh, people oh, still talk you. about that. Yeah, oh, man. that was a great time. That was oh, a great time. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you're asking me, how did I become what was the question again how did I well, what was to... your jazz journey how, how yeah. did you find yourself in New Orleans playing in Ellis's band all of this stuff and what are you doing now well I started uh saxophone when I was uh 10 years old you know in in band like most people do um before that I was the kid who would take my mom's pots and pans and laundry buckets and like make a drum set and would yeah. play along with the radio for like all day long, basically. So yeah. they knew, they already knew what, what, was, what was coming. So once I got the saxophone, I remember my father telling me, you know, don't, don't put that thing together until your teacher shows you how. And of course, as soon as he left that morning, I had it together and was already playing with it. So I started that way and, uh, yeah. you know, was really into the music. I was like that kid that learned all his scales just by ear, just because it was mm -hmm. like, oh, these notes, this one comes after that one, no problem. So mm -hmm. I was that, I was that little band nerd that, mm -hmm. that we love so much. Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm just a grown grown band nerd. Did um, you participate in band at school? I did, I was yeah. literally, literally a band nerd. I mean, <laughs> by the time I was in high school, I had uh, an agreement with all of my teachers that if I maintained an A or B average, I could just stay in the band room all day. So, and my band director was fine with that too. So I literally played in the wind ensemble in the concert band and the marching band and the pet, like every mm -hmm. opportunity I was in the choir. Um, so I was that kid. Um, yeah. 
And by the time I was about 14 We know years, you. Yeah, we yeah. know you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, by the time I was about 14, my, uh, my sister's uh, then husband at the time sent me some recordings and it was like Ornette Coleman, it was uh, Count Basie, and I think it was Charlie Parker. And when I heard Charlie Parker play, I was like, well, that's, this is what I'm going to do. Um, Wait, when was this? How old were you? I was, I was probably 13 or 14. Wait, what? You, okay, hold, hold the phone. You were living <laughs> near New Orleans. I lived in Gonzales, Louisiana, about 40, And your first jazz experience was when you were 13? Yeah, well, I had heard New Orleans. That is fascinating to me. I heard New Orleans music, but it, but it was just kind of ubiquitous. It was just like, hmm. yeah, I know what brass band music. I didn't connect that. That mm -hmm. music was connected to Charlie Parker. It, it, it wasn't no, happening in school? Not at all. Not even a little bit. Yeah, that is fascinating. No, I was in a really good band program. My, my band director, Sheila Bell, who still teaches today, she was really good, but wasn't into jazz, wasn't into improvisation. Wow. Just because it wasn't, she just, she went to LSU. She was a marching band. It was like, that was her thing. Mm -hmm. I, I know the concert music. I know how to get ones that, you know, at all, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So that's what we were, that's what we were doing. So, okay. uh, so I, I started to get into it and she actually introduced me to a, a teacher in Baton Rouge who then introduced me to Alvin Baptiste, who was a clarinetist and who, uh, was a teacher at Southern university and actually was a clarinetist who played with the New Orleans, uh, symphony orchestra when he was 16 years old, played cool. the uh, Mozart clarinet concerto. And so his nickname was Mozart and he, <laughs> He introduced me to like, you know, the sort of grown up jazz jazz where, you know, you understand how to play your instrument, you learn how to play chord changes, you transcribe, you get vocabulary, that whole thing. So that all started when I was about 14, 15, and then it just kind of snowballed. I would find any camp or in the area that I could go to to learn more. I would, you know, try to find older guys that played the music and try to bug them and go play with them or at least go listen. Um, so by the time I was a senior in high school, um, I had, I'd been in Allstate a couple of times, um, you know, the, the concert band and the jazz band, and I just wanted to go and pursue music somewhere. So um, my father took me to New Orleans to audition at Loyola University. Mm -hmm. And I did okay. I wasn't a good sight reader then. So mm -hmm. uh, every time you put music in front of me my brain would melt and it just like looked like ants <laughs> running, running on the page because I was so my audition was kind of you know the prepared part was great but then the sight reading was like terrible so I didn't get a full scholarship and I and my my father was like well you know you you shouldn't have to pay to go to school we can find a place where you can so we went to UNO and auditioned just on a whim and that's when I met um, Ellis wow. and he actually after the audition he took me into his office and he was like, hey, come with me for a second. So me and my father followed him to his office and he was just like, where did you, where did you come from? Like, what, what how did you get here? Like, how did you come to UNO? Like, what is your story? So we talked and uh, he was like, well, we're going to offer you a full scholarship. Oh my and God. We're going to, you're going to live in the dorm if you want and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, me and my father were really happy, but then my dad is looking at me. He's like, well, who's going to look after my son? And and Ellis, Ellis was kind of taken aback and like almost laughed like what do you what do you mean like he's a he's 17 he's 18 he's he's gonna be fine and my dad was like no who's gonna look after him and he was like well 
He's like, listen, we'll, we'll look after him. And I think he was just saying it to get us out of his office. Like, he's going to be fine. Like, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But then it turned out that he actually did look after me because like three years later, I was in his band. Oh, my gosh. So I started at UNO. I, he put me in the big band. And again, I learned very quickly that I could not read well enough to be in the big band with these with these cats so i remember learning that lesson myself like <laughs> it's a it's a rough one it's Ooh, a rough that one. is a moment you do not forget i think yeah in a band amongst everyone else who's having really no problem sight reading this music yeah yes. and you are sort of pretending and like yeah I, I i like not even aware in the page everyone is that is it was it was so bad that I, I remember an experience. I made first saxophone at Arkla Tex, which is a Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas. And I don't know how because my sight reading was terrible, but I couldn't read at all. Like so I would listen to there was a young woman that made second. I would listen to her play it and then I would have yeah. it. And she, and she was hip to it immediately, but she was fine because I could improvise. So she was like, Well, I know he can do that and I can't. So at least he maybe there's a reason he's sitting in first chair, but, but yeah, Yeah. uh, I realized in that big band that I had to go work on reading. So I did. Uh, And now, you know, I'm an okay reader. I can, you know, if you put something in front of me, I could probably read it correct the first time, but it took a long time to get there. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's kind of when he and I really started interacting because he put me first chair as a freshman. um, And I did not, I, I couldn't solo at the level that they that the other cats could I mean it was just I think he was just like let me throw him in the deepest water possible and see what he see what he does and so uh very quickly I, I worked on my reading I worked on my soloing and uh two years later he he asked me to be in his band so and I also wow. leaving out a part I used to go to Snug Harbor which was the club that right where he played every Friday for like 35 years or so actually mm-hmm. no that's a 45 years or so wow and I would go there every Friday and just sit in the front and and bug him on the break and like I wasn't necessarily trying to be in the band I didn't think I deserved to be in the band but I just wanted a chance to get to play with him and I just wanted to to learn because he was so supportive he would always let young cats come and play mm-hmm. so I got to sit in with him a lot and eventually he was just like all right I'm just gonna put him in the you're band already too. here man so he'll stop <laughs> bothering me yeah so that's that's how that happened. I started playing with him in I think 1995. Uh, wow. And I I started college in 93. Wow. So. And you played all the way through until he passed away last year, yeah. right? Um yeah. and now is that ensemble still playing or Well, we're still uh people are still hiring us to do like tribute stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something that's going to continue. I mean, yeah. there's like, actually me and the bass player are like best buddies. So we play together all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the trumpet player, um, Ashlyn Parker, uh, he plays with us all the time too. So we kind of all play together anyway, all the time. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I played with him for what, 27 years or so? 26, 27 wow. years? Um, Man, that is like such a wonderful like way to just like acquire your skills and how cool is it that it was this kind of chance 
happening. Like it, it occurred because your dad and you thought, okay, well, let's just hop in over at you. Yeah. yeah. It's totally on a whim. Totally. Just like, well, let's go over there and see what's going on. And I it changed your life. Completely. Completely. And, and <laughs> Ellis was the jazz professor there. I'm guessing. Yeah. He was the chair of the department. He had, this, okay. uh, he had this grant, the, the department had a grant from Coca-Cola, an endowment um, in which they used to recruit students. So he was the chair of the department. Then I think he, he didn't teach any classes that I remember at the time other than piano lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he taught the big band Yeah. whenever I was there. Um, but yeah, yeah, and it was interesting joining this band because over the 20 something years we played, we maybe rehearsed six times, maybe. <laughs> Um, wow. And you get a gig once a week, you know? Well, I mean, and when I started the gig, I, you know, Ellis knew hundreds of tunes, maybe mm. thousands of tunes. Um, I knew like five of the tunes that he knew. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the whole gig, and he knew that too. He knew that going in. So the whole gig was him playing a melody and then looking at me to solo. And I would, half the time I would just like, all right, well, I'm going to embarrass myself and try. Um, or I would just tell, I would touch my ear, like, let me just, can you play a chorus, another chorus I can hear through these changes? Mm-hmm. That's, that's all I learned how to play was, was playing that way. And that's, from what I understand, that's how a lot of people learned how to improvise. Like the, the, the cats who in the old yeah. days really learned how to improvise. Like you really just had to rely on your ear. There was no, oh, we're in B flat and the bridge go, it's just like one, two, three, four, start, you know? Yeah. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So it was an invaluable lesson in, for me. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think I would have, I, I wouldn't have been able to get my, put myself out of my comfort zone that much if it were up to me because it was so uncomfortable. So. Like you wouldn't have done it. No. You, you wouldn't have chosen that. Yeah. I, no. I like, no. It'd be like trying to give yourself a tattoo. Like you can't, like yeah. you can want it, but like, can you actually force yourself to like, right sit, sit there and not and not jump at, yeah i mean right it, it's uh looking someone back on else it makes you do it right i mean that's sort of the theory behind how beth and i would have all of our students in our jazz ensembles improvise it wasn't an option yeah. there are very few kids um who will choose to put themselves out there right. in that way but if every right. single person knows that that is the expectation and there's really no wriggling out of it it's kind of the same concept in a classroom yeah hopefully removing as many of the um fear as much fear factor as possible yeah and- i, I- I have a tactic um, for, you know, when kids first come to our school, a lot of them, as I was saying, a lot of these, a lot of these kids are really gung-ho about music, um, which is uh, a lot of the nonprofits in New Orleans, they reach the kids who are hungry for this information, but we have a problem not reaching the kids who can't participate. And we can talk about that too, but mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of these kids are really gung-ho about being there. So they they're they don't want to be uncomfortable but after about five minutes in my woodwinds class they know that there's no escape right there's no <laughs> escape like, you're gonna have to play by yourself in front of everybody and it's not scary it's gonna be fine everybody's gonna be i play funny. i play too i'll even play instruments that i don't play well so that it doesn't seem like i'm trying to run circles around i'll play clarinet or right. flute or something just to sort of level the plan show them like i don't i can't play flute very well but i'll do it you know yeah, you know, 
that makes me think and like my my ensembles that I brought to work with Derek down there um, are case in point here because they are orchestras, <laughs> strings, right. like stringed orchestras. And um, it's interesting, Derek, and we're kind of veering into the concepts in music education now, but it's kind of interesting how um, music education in the public schools or in our you know, structured environments relies so heavily upon printed notation. Mm -hmm. And you were this student who like saxophone came easy to you because you tapped into your ear right away. And curiosity. Um, yeah, yeah, out of curiosity. And you weren't limited at the very beginning um, with your with using your ear to learn. And I think that's really, you know, the opposite of what happens with most most kids and especially strings who pick up their instrument for the first time and you know they shove this printed music in their face. Right, and right, right. then they learn only to read music. And like, it's like the ear has almost zero to do with what's going on. And yeah. it seems like our structures are so heavily reliant upon the printed sheet. Like, even you were like, yeah, I kind of didn't make it at Loyola because I wasn't a good enough reader. And I'm sitting here going, dude, <laughs> like... <laughs> You know, I'm like, they missed out big time, but you like, you like opened up a whole new world for yourself by popping over at UNO, you know, but the string kids, and it took a lot of nutcracking with Kelly and I working with them and putting them with the wind players and putting them with the jazz band and all this stuff. And it wasn't just the string players that benefited the jazz band did too, you know, but yeah, it's like, we had to like get that note reading reliance. Like we had to work that stuff out. Like let's wash it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, let's learn how to rely on our ears. And then once the students learned that they could do that, it moves so much faster um, yeah. after that. And yeah. frankly, their reading got better too. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like, it's kind of, it, it's really interesting to me about music education. Why is it that we rely so heavily on printed notation? We're, we're, we're still just stuck in the, the way that it was done and it was always done. And it's easy, it's easier. Well, it's and anybody thing. and anybody can teach uh not anyone but you don't have to be good at playing an instrument or even good at music reading mm -hmm. to go and stand in front of a group and say we're going to start at letter a and here's yep. the tempo and go and mm -hmm. you know it's harder to say all right we're going to play a song and we're going to play over an f6 chord for 10 bars and then we're going to play a c7 chord for two bars and that's what we're going to do for 30 minutes straight without stopping <laughs> and and you have to be able to understand like, what are they struggling? Like you have to be an improviser yourself to kind of, to teach in that mm -hmm. way. So oh, I yeah. understand, I understand why it's still done the way that it's done. It seems like that's kind of changing slowly. Um, 
particularly is in it? a place like New Orleans. Well, in a place like New Orleans, it certainly is because kids like kids like me, if you can hear, well, then in my mind, like you're halfway there. Like we can teach you the mm-hmm. math part yes. of it. The math part to me is the mm-hmm. easier part. It's it's getting people to rely on, on the fact that you can already hear. You just don't believe in your, you just don't trust it yet, but you can hear. Your brain will tell you this is a half step and it feels very wrong that I'm playing this note and it's vibrating in my hands and I don't like it. It's like, yeah, because that's a dissonance that's that's like right. needs to be treated. I mean, I'll tell you what, I was, I'm gonna expand upon that memory of not being able to keep up with my sight reading my freshman year of high school. But then I quickly became such a good reader um, that I'd say by the end of my high school career, just a couple of years time, if you took my music away, like I would go blank. Total uh, panic, yep. total Which is a problem. Which is and a it's problem. Still <laughs> me. I'm in my yeah. 40s. And if you take my music away, I will almost start crying, dude. Like, mm-hmm. I do not like it. I need it. I need yeah. it. <laughs> it's yeah. not no, good. And it's, it can happen so quickly to our kids, I think. You have to continue at every moment in their music education to share it to use ears yeah. and music you can't ever just move straight to music no because i think it ha- it can become a crutch so easily is what i'm trying to say yeah not very eloquently well i i've had the experience of teaching um of doing a lot of clinics and uh and i'll go to a school where they're playing like say a Duke Ellington piece or a Count Basie piece or Thad Jones or whatever. And generally at these at the schools where you can tell there's a lot of resources and everybody's got new horns and new cases and every, you know, it's like there's this place is fully resourced. And you go and you and I listen to them play and I'm like, okay, so you're playing this Count Basie song. How many people in here have actually heard the song that you're playing? None of them ever raised their hands, ever. And it's like, I mean, there's your problem. I mean, you can't, you can't do this. It's a language. If you don't ever listen to people speak it, how in the world would you ever be able to speak it yourself? And okay. yeah, you might be good at reading it, but you have to be able to speak it. So yes, it's like that, that I have happens a theory. so I want to run it by you guys. Here's my okay. Cause this is big. <laughs> this is like, uh, this is what I think about for all, all of my time, this, this exact topic. I cannot stop thinking about this. If, okay, here's my theory. If you are a super resourced school, you are, you are super resourced because of your community mm-hmm. and, and or what your community has become, like you've created an award-winning whatever, you've got this prestige now or some money. Either way, You've got a scenario where the the support system values this per- perfect product. The only way to get this shiny product, a band that looks uniform with matching instruments and sounds slick and everyone's parts and the balance and on the rubric, it's like a hundred out of a hundred. This kind of a band, right? 
The only way to get that kind of a group that polished in a school day is to do all of the things that I don't believe we should be doing as teachers. And it, but it keeps like feeding this beast. You have to keep the band at that right. level. It's expected of your money expects it. Your families expect it, mm -hmm. right? But you, you have to spend 100% of rehearsal time on the ensemble. Right, right. right. Spending no time on anything, yes. but polishing that ensemble, which means yes. The only people who are listening or dealing with chord changes, any of those things are people who have access to private lessons. Yep. They're doing the private lessons outside of school. And so they are even more resourced, those right. kids, right. Right. who at least in our part of the uh, world are white kids. And um, yes, they usually, are. And usually boys are like advocating for themselves. This is what I see for myself. I want to be the soloist. And up in our area, all of the bands that sound like what you're describing are 99% white boys mm -hmm. in rich neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. This yep. is a good theory, right? We are, we are kind of, we're that up here in Seattle. And Derek, you met the Washington Middle School Jazz Band, which is very similar to what Kelly just um, described, even though it's a very diverse school in the central district of Seattle. And um, it's like the private lessons, all that stuff like gets, you know, a handful of really good soloists. And so the band, when, when you're spending all the time on ensemble and building a good performance of two or three tunes, you can throw these private lesson soloists in front of the band. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, this is quite the band. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, speaking of the Marsalis family, um, Seattle is a heavy participant in the essentially Ellington um, mm. system. Mm -hmm. um, there's quite a few. I bands. just made a recording for it two days ago. There you go. My my <laughs> partner, my partner, who's the band director at Roosevelt High School, is making his this weekend. Um, and for a lot of these schools that especially are participating in like the essentially Ellington um, type of deals, they are choosing their repertoire at the beginning of the school year and they are working on it all year long non non-stop yes yeah, non-stop yeah. so like they are polishing three tunes for a whole school year right and right. that's what they're doing and that's right. it and they right. sound the amazing curriculum. but you peel away the layers and you have almost none of the band knows any of the history of that song right. could sing the lyrics right could right. um you know talk about its importance throughout time could play the changes could you know what right. i'm saying like right. the depth of knowledge is very surface mm -hmm. that's all you can do if you're trying to have a band that sounds like that so the only thing i can see is we need to stop trying to have bands that sound like that we got to get messy. We got to get messy. Yeah, well, it's, it's. I mean, 
you know, no offense to any music educators, but I mean, your job is kind of reliant on having this product at the end of the thing sounds like this. So if you if you get to the end of the semester and like you don't have a polished product, but like most of your kids can play over a blues or they can play fast or they understand, like nobody cares because it's, that's not shiny enough. That's not right. Like, it needs to be shiny. We need to know that we're getting our money's worth out of this. <laughs> this program out of our free public school education oh, and you know what <laughs> you know what sucks though is that being able to play over blues changes is is an employable skill and so yeah. like these kids could be i mean we could be teaching entrepreneurial skills we could be teaching creating we could be teaching you know kids could be forming bands and like building businesses and stuff um, and that is totally lost because we have to work on this piece all year long to have this shiny project product. And right. I mean, for me, this is the crux of what I want to burn down in music education. Yeah, I mean, the skill of the skill of improvisation or playing using your ears is it doesn't just help with music. I mean, it, it kind of helps with everything in life because you start to understand to just Back. go out and try yeah just go out and try like I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm doing but I'm gonna go try as hard as I can I'm gonna find the people who can do it and learn because they're doing it I'll model that like there's so many strategies you develop by being forced <laughs> to do well and you know you know I'm I'm thinking about the visionary um music education pedagogue that you were lucky to work with at UNO he saw this in you man like he was like, I'm going to throw him in. I'm going to put him in as a first year college student in that top jazz band, make you first, first saxophone in the section. And you had to run with it. Oh, it was, I mean, it was, it was painful. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, growth is pain. I mean, growth hurts, which is why a lot of people are happy to just stay where they are because it, it hurts mm -hmm. and and that hurt because mm -hmm. his, his style by the time I got to Mr. Marsalis he had kind of chilled out a lot from what I hear okay I I had heard I heard stories about the younger him uh which he was That's a lot funny. more <laughs> a lot more of a forceful presence let's just put it that way um but the way he would the way he would interact with me was interesting he like he could he was like a psychologist and an intellect like he could read exactly what I was like I don't respond well to negative reinforcement I don't really respond well to positive reinforcement either I'm just like well, what am I supposed to be doing and I'll do it and if we do it then great we go home but <laughs> otherwise I'll just keep working but the, the way he would deal with me is like we're playing this chart you know it's like the second class or something and I'm struggling because I'm you know I'm what I can read was mostly like, you know, from thy method books and it like looks nothing like these charts. And it's like, mm. man, I don't, there's so many tied things and dotted. It's like, why is yep. everything so All dotted? And down, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's, it was just, I mean, I was just, it was like outer body, ex, out of body experience. And so we're playing this thing and he stops the band and he's just looking at me and he's just not, not, you know, leave, leaving eye contact with me. And he's like, hey man, what does it say on your part? And I was like, oh, here we go. I was like, uh, and then I said the name of the tune. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay. What else does it say on your part? And I was like, well, it says E, e flat saxophone. He's like, uh-huh, 
what else does it say on your part? <laughs> and so now I'm getting into like uh, tempo marking is, you know, one whatever. And he's like, uh-huh, what else does it say? I was like, lead alto. He's like, yeah, lead alto. He's like, you need to lead. And I was like, oh my God. And I, I couldn't even read this stuff. And I'm like, how am I supposed to lead anything? And he knew that I was struggling reading, but he was basically, it was his way of like, get your stuff together. Like stop, yeah. stop coming in here. You have the music, go learn it. Like you don't have to sight read it. I gave it to you. Like I learn gave it. it to you. And come, in, yeah, and come in here and read it and, and, you know, and play. And so oh, that, man. that was his way with me, which, which yeah. worked really well. Well, you know, and I'm just like, I love the stare down. That's what I'm I'm like thinking about, you know, how Kelly and I. Could just like, we could see a kid and be like, I just know. I just just know know about this kid. And we would take this kid and be like, I'm putting you in this group and not ready god we know yeah. you we know you are a beginner right now but we can smell it like yeah. we can see it about you and yeah. we would bring these kids into the to the fold and just how fast they would grow and change and that whole concept of being a leader and knowing uh knowing what to do in that case and just knowing how to lead even if like ever Kelly and I would work together with our students to be like hey look you need to step in as a leader anytime mm-hmm. the lead alto might not be in tomorrow so you're gonna have to sit in there you know you're gonna have to lead you're gonna have to mm-hmm. know how to cue you're gonna have to know how to count in you're gonna have to know how to cut off right. um and all of this stuff, and we we really really worked with kids. And man, I'm just thinking like, about like God. I remember this time where we had a full room, so it must have been a combined concert band and string orchestra. So you know, like probably 120 kids or so, yeah. middle schoolers. And I remember Beth, you were teaching the orchestra um, chamber technique and like how to use. Yeah their scroll to, to yeah. like give a downbeat and then a yeah. cutoff. And yeah. so I brought out my trombone and I was like, this is how I would do it Yeah, on my trombone. And then all of a sudden we just sort of decided right then that it was a good idea to have all of the kids, they were just watching us and we would breathe. <sighs> And we yeah. would all give like a downbeat and then we would mm-hmm. cut it off. And pretty soon, like all of these kids could get a song started and stopped on their own mm-hmm. like right. what a great success and these were the younger these were the younger kids you know and then they would travel through and then they would have these skills but then be in these scenarios where they have agency and mm-hmm. they have choices and they can decide what they want to play they can arrange they can do all these things that real musicians do you know like be a take take place in all elements of the artistic process and to me that that was the essence of learning and it was sometimes messy as all get out yeah (laughs) yeah i i uh 
there was a point where at the heritage school we realized like we're teaching these very young students how like we're not really improvising yet like we're just kind of like you can play the roots or you can play the thirds or what yes. literally like we would show them what to play but it was more about just getting them comfortable with standing mm -hmm. up on the stage standing somebody count off the tune yep play the thing everybody's going to take one course you're going to play the roots if you're if you're uncle whatever it is and then you're going to end it together and yes they would they would get it in class they'd be perfect they'd be fine and it would almost roll their eyes like we can this is so easy then we would do we would bring a crowd in and then yeah. they would just stare at the wall and not in like a like a mop and just not move yeah, it's like, like a mop <laughs> it's, and it's like or or my favorite is they look at the teachers and it's like what are you yeah. looking at us for we can't you gotta play. I used Somebody to always be like, "You all look like you have to poop." Like, <laughs> that's what I used to say. I because they would all laugh because it's hilarious, and then they would be like, "Oh, I understand. I look constipated." Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we started. We started doing uh, jam sessions every month. Uh, we bring, we let the parents come in for the last hour of class and just fill oh, up the auditorium and let them play for the parents because that way they get used to, like, you're going to feel nervous. No, we're not going to yes. be nervous, Mr. Dogate. No, you're going to be really nervous. Oh, man. you. Are. And as soon as the parents come in, like, again, they're like, you know, frozen, frozen yeah. looking at me. And it's like, it's okay. Just do what we do. What we showed you how to do. It's gonna you know fun. what? We did the same thing, but we did it at a local coffee shop and it was a total hot mess sometimes. Oh. I mean, just yeah. a hot mess. I but, love that though. I love and, that. You know, and they would totally step in it, man. But oh, man. They, not they pleasant it. sounds. And, you know, and the, the expectation was everybody takes a chorus of improv. You're not getting away from it. On at least mm -hmm. two songs. Yeah, you're not getting yeah. away from it. Yeah, I mean, going back a little bit to what what Kelly was talking about with you know when you take your music away, you you know you feel a panic. Um, mm -hmm. The thing that yeah. Ellis would the thing that Ellis would say all the time to us and to to young students is he would play something for us, play a recording, or we would rehearse and then stop and he would just point at somebody. What did you just hear? And it's like mm -hmm. uh oh, because you 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 realize I'm not really listening at all. Like I'm not listening. I like it's playing and I hear kind of like, okay, this song's going by, but I'm not really listening to what's happening. And it taught us like, oh, you have to really be able to listen. Because if you're listening, you can say what happened. Oh, the, the drummer came in on the thing, on the hi-hats, and then he switched mm -hmm. to the cymbal. The bass player came in a measure late and whatever, and saxophones are dragging a little bit. The trombone, you know, it's like, oh, there's like another level to it. You and know, I most people I don't don't listen when they play. They just play. Yeah. They're not listening too. As you know, as a musician, I doubt I listened at all. I mean, really. But when I became a music educator, I realized so much of what you just said. Like, I was like, wow, I don't think I've been listening my <laughs> entire life. But now I'm in charge of this group and and I'm going to have to like, address I can't this. stop listening. There's like, <laughs> I'm going to have to address this. It's happening. <laughs> but the other thing, the other big concern I have with listening is that we have music around us. Like the, 
the syncopated rhythms that are a part of the music that we hear around us in the United States, um, if you try to write those rhythms, they are a jumbled mess on a piece of paper, man. Like we're working on sign sealed delivered. I'm yours right now with the orchestra. And they have, you know, they have to play along with that rhythm, the sign sealed delivered, I'm yours rhythm. And it, it's it's notated with like 16th notes and all dot, kinds of 16th right? yeah. dotted stuff. It's just like right. a jumble of black. Mm -hmm mess on the paper and i'm like yeah everybody repeat after me sign sealed delivered i'm yours okay now play that measure please no problem and it's no like problem at all yeah no problem whatsoever and all of this stuff is deeply ingrained in our bones as yes. people who live in the united states it's around us it is it is a part of the fabric of who we are and yet it is something that students check at the door when they come to the music rehearsal room at school. Mm. Why is this? I, yeah, I don't. It's like the, it's like, why? I mean, and, and it's like, it's, it goes hand in hand with not listening when you're sitting in the ensemble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to I try to explain it to my students this way, which is, uh, and I, me and Ashlyn have done this to people, you know, on on purpose. Like if you have, a, we've gone into schools where you get kids who want to play while you're talking and stuff, and instead of being a tyrant about it, we just do it back to them. <laughs> so we ask them to play something, and as soon as they start playing, I just I just start talking over them, and they're like, oh okay, I see what's happening. But also I try to explain to them. If you're having a conversation with your five friends, you're all talking all the time, but mm -hmm. you're listening to what everybody is saying and you're waiting for your chance to I'm going to respond over here and then I'm going to respond there and you're letting everybody talk, but you're talking too. that's mm -hmm. the same. That's what we're trying to get to in the music where you're playing, but as you're playing, you're listening as much as you're playing. So mm -hmm. it's not to me, there's no difference. It's the same exact Thing, it just takes a while to develop it with a horn in your hands or with a an instrument in your hands. Um, but to me, it's I the like same that concept. description. Just, that's a that's yeah. excellent it's way just, to look at that. Yeah, it's just it's very simple. It's like okay, we're playing we're playing you know half notes to warm up, and you're sharp and you're flat and you're using vibrato and nobody like why are you? Can we not fix this immediately? Like professional fix this stuff immediately mm -hmm. it's like if i'm playing with another trumpet player we have to sound like we're doing the same exact thing mm -hmm. which means we're breathing at the same rate mm -hmm. i'm not playing vibrato if he's not or she's not mm -hmm. they're not going to play vibrato if i'm not i mean it's like it's this dance that we all learn how to do really well and and it's just hard to get them to understand how simple it's really simple it's really simple you just listen it's just like okay i'm playing but i'm listening it's very easy to do but it takes a long time, I think, to just have the realization that all I have to do is just relax and listen. That's all. Um, just... Relax, listen, and connect too, because yeah. it's like we, it's also like when we arrive at the rehearsal room for ensemble rehearsal, we sit together, but we're alone. Mm -hmm. And there's so little like true interaction. Whereas you're talking about if you're playing with a trumpet player, you need to interact 
and align so that the two of you are on the same wavelength, you know? Um, but it takes that interaction piece that we so often don't have the time to do either in the music classroom. And it's just, you know, it's startling to me. So many employable skills that professional musicians like yourself, Derek, um, simply, you know, needed to develop on your own outside of the music classroom mm -hmm. in order to be able to do these things in the professional realm. And so it just, it makes me, you know, question <laughs> curricula. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. It's it's uh, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? I mean, we could talk for hours about this. <laughs> uh, we add, have, in fact, talked for roughly 60 episodes about this. <laughs> I know. I know. But let me tell you a way to start um, a way to start addressing this issue, folks that are listening, um, and I am also watching on Facebook right now. There are zero people watching the show right now, but believe me, we will share it out. And these shows get some mileage and people are gonna, Derek, people are gonna be like, all right, that field trip to New Orleans is actually gonna be in the works now, okay? Like I want, I want, folks, I want folks to know that um, when you take your kids to New Orleans, you change their lives. And um, then they're not wild animals running about through the street. There are not wild animals. No. And no. <laughs> it's like, Derek, seriously, like after that, after those trips, I have students who now are college students in New Orleans because wow. they went, they went and they were like, my heart now lives here. So yeah. I will be moving back. And like yeah. that happened to me the first time I went to New Orleans as an 11th grader, I was like, I am always going to come to New Orleans as a special place for me as a human. It speaks on a very deep level to me and, um, and, and Louisiana in general. And it, it's just such a special place. And I urge teachers to bring students to this place, this birthplace of jazz music and this amazing history that is just seeping from every single corner of this wonderful place. And also um, look up the Heritage School of Music. They, again, have this amazing facility um, and an amazing staff that will create a very amazing learning experience for your students. Um, and I hope that, I hope people check it out because it's very, very worth it. And yeah, I, furthermore, Derek, you. one more thank thing. <laughs> furthermore, <laughs> I have a feeling you're gonna get invited to be a clinician at things too. We wanna push your name out as a person who is very, very knowledgeable. Like I would love to get you up here in Seattle to be a clinician at a jazz festival or a band festival. Well, that's that's very kind of you. And uh, and I would add, even if you don't come to check out the Heritage School of Music, there's there's tons of other programs, education programs. But even if you just come to listen to music, there's mm -hmm. tons of music. There's it's not even if you don't like uh, New Orleans music or jazz or brass, but like there's tons of different kinds of music. 
So definitely, you know, our economy is based off of tourism in New Orleans. Absolutely. Unfortunately, so, Mm -hmm. so especially over the last two years, it's been unfortunately so. So please do come, please do. You will change your life. I'm telling you. (laughs) Fun. Yeah. Guys, I have like five more things I want to talk about, but we don't have time. I know. I know. Yeah, that that went by really fast. It went by really fast. And, you know, teacher happy hour. You never want to stay at teacher happy hour too long on a Friday night. You don't want to get partied out. I've got a whole crew. I've got my dude. I got a cat behind me. I've got two dogs. We we got the beverage. We're you got Friday night planned out. I got my Friday on lock, folks. Gigs are canceled again. Oh man! I know. A million thanks to our listeners, followers, and subscribers. The support we receive monetarily and otherwise helps us to be able to spend time creating a quality product and it allows us to tap into partnerships and resources to which we wouldn't normally have access. We are stoked about the journey of learning we have ahead of us and we are delighted you've decided to join.